0: Problems present themselves through conflict, miscommunication, creative differences, unclear expectations, and motivational issues. ARC Integrated is here to address these challenges through executive coaching and customized interactive trainings. Create lasting positive change that will improve your bottom line and create a culture that attracts talent and reduces turnover by going to ARCintegrated.com. That's ARCintegrated.com. What if investing in each other could change the world. I'm Joel Skeen with bizradio.us, and this is The Mindful Marketplace. Welcome back to a second half of a wonderful conversation that I'm having here on The Mindful Marketplace. If this is your first time with us, welcome. On this program, we talk to the entrepreneurs, advisors, industry leaders, investors, and economic experts who are not only solving a market problem to make a profit. But they are also solving a social problem to make an impact. It's where we learn how to connect our money and our businesses to our values, our community, and ourselves. Today, we are continuing our conversation with Diane Silver, who is an advocacy program manager with Fair Vote. And if you didn't get a chance to listen to the first episode, please go back and do that. It was really wonderful to set the table with her about what ranked choice voting is. And how it really works for the experience of the voter. Um, Really awesome conversation. So, please, if you haven't listened to that, go back and do that. And then we're going to get right back into it here and really talk about the meat and potatoes of this and really understand better what ranked choice voting is, how it works. And how it's having an impact on the communities that use it to better represent people, regardless of their political orientation. So, um, Diane, welcome back to the program. So happy to have you on here again today.
1: Thank you so much. Glad to be with you.
0: Yeah. So when we left off, you know, we were talking about the experience of the voter um, getting to actually rank the candidates that they like in their elections, rather than just you know having to pick one, um, but actually getting to say, hey you know, this candidate is my, my first pick, but if I can't have that one, I'd love this one is my second, third, fourth, you know, all the way down the line. And last, I really don't like this person. <laughs> and so they're my last choice and just how that affects the engagement and the um, you know, just the experience of the voter. But I guess, you know, we, we want to dig in here on this half really about how this actually works and how it works for um people. So yeah, tell us a little bit about how this process actually works.
1: Sure. Um, I think I always like to emphasize, uh, first off, that it works for everybody across the political spectrum in the same way and to the same advantage. This truly is a nonpartisan reform. The big idea is that it will deliver a winner who truly represents what the majority of the voters want. Um, And if that majority leans left, that's who's going to win. Somebody on the left, if the majority leans right, that's who's going to win. It benefits both sides or all sides of the political spectrum in the same way and and equally fairly. Um, Again, the big idea is that it delivers a majority winner. So I think that majority rule is a basic principle of democracy that most people think we have here in our country. But in truth, we don't. Many, many, many elections are one, by the candidate who got the most votes but they didn't get a majority and that's because of that phenomenon of vote splitting that we talked about in the previous episode how the majority you know let's say 60% of the of the electorate in a particular jurisdiction leans one way and 40% leans the other way if that 60% gets split into 30 plus 30 then the then the 40% would be the winner And they would take office even though they don't represent a majority of voters and they didn't get a majority. Majority means more than 50 percent. And so that's the big problem with our elections. And that's how the vote splitting is a problem. And so the, the big idea for ranked choice voting is that if nobody gets a majority, then we have an instant runoff. So we could have a regular runoff where, or what we call an in-person runoff, where everybody goes back to the polls two weeks later, five weeks later, six weeks later, and, and you know has a runoff between the top two or whatever. But the problem with that is that number one, the turnout drops tremendously, and you have a very small portion of the electorate making the decision for everybody, because it's hard for everybody to get back to the polls again. It's expensive for jurisdictions to have to run a whole nother election to do the runoff. It's expensive for candidates to keep on campaigning. It's exhausting for the voters to have to keep on hearing the campaigning and being engaged. So the beauty of ranked choice voting is we do it instantly through this thing called an instant runoff. And the way that it works is through the ranking. So if nobody, if none of the candidates gets a majority, then the lowest vote getter, is eliminated. Sorry, you got the fewest. And then we have a runoff. However however many are left, it's as if everybody goes back to the polls again, and you vote again, only now there's only, let's say, four candidates instead of five. And so if your favorite is still among those four, your vote in that runoff round goes to your favorite, your number one choice. It's only if your favorite was the one that got dropped out the lowest vote getter well now they're not on the ballot anymore so you would have to vote for somebody else well you don't have to go do that in person because of the ranking on your ballot you have indicated who your next choice is and so if your first choice has been eliminated now your vote goes to your next choice and so all the ballots are counted again and we see if somebody gets a majority And if nobody does, then that happens again. The lowest vote getter is eliminated. It's as if we all go back to the polls, but we don't have to. It happens instantaneously. All the ballots get counted again, this time with only three candidates. And whoever is the highest ranked on any given ballot who is still active in the race, that's who that ballot counts for. So as a voter, my vote goes to my favorite as long as they're still in the race. If they get dropped out, my vote goes to my next favorite. If they get dropped out, my vote goes to my next favorite. So I'm not I'm not voting for more than one candidate at a time. I'm not giving half my vote to one or half my vote to another it's not a weighted vote it's not a point system it's one person one vote just like everybody's used to just like we always do it's just that instead of having to go back to the polls to have a runoff we can have a runoff instantly and it's a better runoff than just doing the top two because it allows the votes to consolidate around the candidate who has the broadest support. The thing that I love about ranked choice voting is it requires both depth of support and breadth of support. You have to have enough first choice votes that you don't get eliminated and you have to have enough second and third and fourth choice votes that those votes consolidate around you and you get over that 50 percent threshold to ultimately win and that's the candidate who the most voters are happy with and this is the this is another really great thing majority is more than 50% but so many times that could be a very very slim majority you know if it's right. 51 49 you still have half the population who's not very happy but with ranked choice voting more than 70% of the voters have the winner in their top 3 and so that's a huge satisfaction level. A lot of voters might be like, well, I didn't get my first choice, but I got my second choice. I got my third choice. You know, I'm pretty okay with it. And that level of satisfaction is what is the game changer for, ranked, for with ranked choice voting. We can get over this hyper-partisanship and move on with problem solving.
0: Yeah. And what I also love about it, in addition to all of that, is, you know, I don't know how many times when I have wanted to vote for a candidate who wasn't one of the two main parties, I've had that feeling that we mentioned last time of like, well, I'm just going to be throwing my vote away. But with this, even if you pick the, the most unpopular candidate, your vote still gets counted again in the next round so that you're never actually throwing that vote away in that sense. You still are participating in those runoffs. So your vote always ends up counting.
1: That's exactly right. There's another piece of it that um, is kind of a nuance, but it creates a mandate. There's, there's a couple of ways. You know, one is when you win with, with a true majority, um, you can claim that mandate and it makes the job of governing a lot smoother, a lot easier because you're not sort of in defense mode throughout your entire term of service. But the other thing is that even if, you know, from a third party perspective, even if the third party candidate doesn't end up winning, there's the data that shows how many of those third party votes toward um, securing the win for the candidate who did win. And it gives the, the, those third party voters, it gives that third party more influence with the winner where they can say, hey, it's going to be really important for you to attend to the issues that we care about, because next time that you're running, you know that, you know, some percentage of your support was from us. And if 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 we don't support you the next time around, you're not going to get reelected. It makes candidates, it makes office holders more accountable to the whole population, to all of the voters and not just accountable to a, a narrow base that they're counting on to win you know, with less than majority.
0: Yeah, because it makes the um, elected officials more number one representative of what people actually want, but it also makes them, like you said, more accountable to those people in the next elections. That's I, That I combination of things okay. is such a refreshing idea. Um, I, you know, this isn't something that gets talked a lot in our national politics, but I'm curious where in the world or where in the smaller levels in the country has this been implemented, and what does it look like?
1: Yeah, I'm glad you asked. It's actually a lot more prevalent than you think. Um, it is used in over 50 jurisdictions across the United States. Um, two are at the statewide level in Maine and in Alaska, the bookends of, of the country.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they,
1: they have it. They have it um, at the at the state level in Alaska. They use it for state and federal offices. In Maine, they use it for federal offices, not yet for state offices. They're still working on that. Um, And they're beginning to adopt it at the local level in various municipalities. And then across the country, um, in lots of different places, they have it um, at the municipal level, at at city level. Um, It's been used in a couple of cities in the Bay Area for almost 20 years now, um, in San Francisco and Berkeley and San Leandro and such. Um, and Oakland, I think, um, in Minnesota, they have it in Minneapolis and St. Paul, a couple small towns. Um, they've got it in Santa Fe. Um, interestingly, it was used in Virginia in the um, the Republican nominating convention um, a couple years ago, and that's how G- Governor Glenn Youngkin got into office. Um, the Republicans used it to nominate the candidate who would have the broadest support within their party. And it totally scored for the Republicans because they were then able to really do well with get out the vote because the majority of their voters really were behind the candidate. Um, And they ended up taking back the governor's house in Virginia. In other States, it has benefited Democrats. Um, It, the, the, the truth is it ends, it ends up delivering the candidate with majority support, whichever side of the political spectrum that's on.
0: Yeah and that's that, that one that is something that's really key here is that it it doesn't seem like, you know, with the examples I got to see you do a presentation on this which is how we connected and you went through kind of a whole long presentation of different spots in the country where this has happened and some of them, you know, may have benefited candidates that were more on the right, some of them may have benefited parties or candidates that were more on the left, but in each situation it was actually more represent representative of what the people in that district or in that state wanted and it didn't seem like it really had a uh it didn't seem like it it, the process itself has a, a bent one way or the other
1: that's that's exactly right it is not some ploy by one party or the other to somehow gain power you know through shenanigans it it truly represents what the people want and that's what well, it seems shen-
0: like it actually might might discourage shenanigans would you say that that's accurate
1: I, I think I think so because what we find is that it actually it encourages more civil campaigning you know right now there is a political strategy out there that's based on fear and um and division and if we can keep everybody fearful and divided then you know that that's what that's what candidates run on <clears throat> and ranked choice voting really encourages focusing on issues rather than partisanship. And it focuses on talking about what you are going to do as a candidate rather than how terrible it's going to be if the opponent, if your opponent wins. Um, and people actually end up campaigning collaboratively. If, they, if there are two candidates who are closely aligned, they might do some joint campaigning and say, vote for me number one and for them number two. And the other one says, no, no, vote for me, number one, and for them, number two. But whatever you do, vote for one of us for number one and one of us for number two. <clears throat> you know, And that's way better than cutting down your opponents and saying how terrible they are. Um, and even across the political uh, on, on different sides of the political spectrum where you wouldn't do that kind of collaborative campaigning, it is better off to focus on the issues and talk about what you're going to do proactively for the for the voters rather than dissing the opponent because If you're not going to be a particular voter's number one choice, you really want to be their number two or their number three, because those second and third choice votes can make the difference between winning and losing. So it's not to your advantage to alienate the voters of your opponent. And that is a game changer in our Mm. environment.
0: Yeah, because so much of what it is now is, well, I might be bad, but they're so much worse. (laughs) But you're saying that this kind of completely changes the direction and the focus where, you know, those cynical games where even, you know, I've heard stories recently about how one party is actually funding the campaigns of the extremists in the other party as a way to make themselves seem more reasonable. (laughs) And like it's it's getting wild uh, the amount of cynical politicking and the, you know, kind of just that it's all strategy and not really about the actual issues, is that in those campaigns where, in those um, elections, I should say, um, does that affect the tone of the campaigns towards more focus on the issues? And has there been any kind of data or feedback from the voters in that area about how they experience it, and if they prefer this system to the old way of doing it.
1: Yes, yes, I'm glad you asked that. Um, FairVote actually did um, did a study uh, on campaign civility, and there's a, a report out there that people can find on our website that shows. I, I think they, you know, studied the the campaign ads, and you know how many negative comments were made, or you know, versus versus Positive comments, and there's data that shows that the that the level of civility was better with ranked choice voting, um, and we also have a lot of data that shows <clears throat> um, that voters liked it. They um, <clears throat> the the engagement with ranked choice voting is high when voters are given the opportunity to rank. They do, um, and uh, and they understand it. Um, and they want to and they want to keep on using it and and all of that is supported by data from exit polls from people who have used ranked choice voting
0: yeah and the, the other thing that's come to mind as you're talking here is I, I think about the type of people that our current structure attracts right like i i would there's a lot of people that i know who i think would have a mind to be a leader and would not mind the idea of actually getting to represent their communities In a maybe even just on a school board, or maybe in their local city council, or maybe they would run for some larger office. But the idea of having to get into the messy, dirty politicking that they would have to do, they just know how much that would eat at their soul, (laughs) and just like corrupt themselves. Uh, it seems to me that if we had a system like this, it would actually attract better people into our politics or people who at least had a motive to truly represent and be accountable to their constituency rather than people who are just trying to make a lot of money, you know, sell some books, um, get famous and land a lobbying gig you know after they're all done is have you seen anything like that or do you feel the same way about that
1: yeah well i i think i'm not i'm not quite as as cynical about the people who do run especially at the local level i think i think most people run for office for you know good reasons and positive reasons but i will agree that running for office um requires a thick skin and a lot of money and i think that those two are obstacles to um entering obstacles to engagement so i would agree that there are a lot of people who might be happy to run for office but oh my god why would i want to subject myself to that process so number one running offense is far is less expensive than running defense If -hmm. if your opponent is starting to run negative ads that accuse you of all kinds of stuff, then you have to respond to that. And that means you have to buy a lot more ad time and do a lot more mailers. And so that makes the whole campaign more expensive. So simply having a political environment that discourages the negative campaigning and the mudslinging and encourages the focus on issues means that campaigns can be less expensive. So I think that's number one. Um, number two, obviously not having to go on defensive, as you say, just isn't as soul searing for people who don't have such a thick skin that it might be a a more positive experience that you're not going to get vilified publicly for whatever somebody comes up with to vilify you. Um, a third one is that by not having to have runoffs, you know, if we want majority winners right now. Mm -hmm. We have to have runoffs to do that, and that extends the campaign season, and that means you have to keep on campaigning, and that's expensive. And so having these instant runoffs means that we can have majority winners and get it all done in one election. So it's like we can have our cake and eat it, too. Um, And so I think that that would encourage more people to enter the field and the last one is the potential of being vilified as a spoiler You know again that whole vote splitting phenomenon You don't want to be the candidate who entered the field and then everybody says oh well if they hadn't run Then we wouldn't have ended up with so-and-so, you know You don't want to be the one who gets accused of being the spoiler and so even just that just that fear <clears throat> or that risk sometimes keeps people out of the race another thing that we've seen is that in communities of color there's a phenomenon of wait your turn where like community leaders have kind of a vetting process that they it, that ends up happening behind closed doors you know where they've kind of figured out who they think is going to be the strongest candidate from within their community and they mm-hmm. don't want So if somebody else wants to run, they get told, no, no, wait your turn. And um, with ranked choice voting, what we have found is that when there are candidates from the same demographic groups, like if two black candidates are running against each other, quote unquote, against each other, but they're both from that same community, there's actually more engagement from that community and more likelihood that one of them will win. And with voting, uh, with with ranked choice voting, obviously those voters can rank one of them number one and the other one number two, and they don't have to do all that strategic voting. And it actually helps raise up the political power of that particular group, whether it's black voters, Hispanic voters, particular religion, like whatever your your interest niche is, whatever creates a like-minded group of voters, it works for them to enhance their power in that way.
0: Man, I love it. I, I love it. I, I um, what what I wish we had more time to get into is how can people actually get involved and see this implemented in their local level and start to push for it on a national level? So I guess just with the last minute that we have, um, where can people go to learn how they can actually do something to get involved? And what's the number one thing that someone can do to actually see this manifest in their local community and at large?
1: I'm glad you asked. They can go to fairvote.org and they can click on Get Involved and from there if you click around a little you'll find a map of the U.S. that will give you the local the state level group working on ranked choice voting in that state and the thing to do is to then get in touch with that group and support them add your name as a supporter of ranked choice voting if you agree that this is a good idea Um, volunteer for them throw them a little bit of money to help them carry on the work and um, it's building up that, these grassroots groups to, de- to demonstrate the support across the country and to support the work of getting this through uh, state legislatures and through city councils um, in order to grow the movement and to grow the number of jurisdictions that are using ranked choice voting.
0: Love it. Please go ahead and do that. I'm actually doing that myself here right now. I'm bringing up the website. Thank you so much, Diane, for sharing oh, I- with us how this works.
1: You're welcome. I would be robust if I didn't also say, you can also throw your support to FairVote as well. We're happy to have people click that donate button at FairVote if they wish to.
0: Yes. And please do that because the work they are doing really can be transformative, I think, for our whole political economy, which includes our markets and our businesses. And so thank you so much, Diane, for being here on today. Thank you, the listener. Make sure to subscribe and listen wherever you get your podcasts and also on bizradio.us. And until next time, take care of yourself and take care of someone else. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you just heard, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and be sure to visit bizradio.us to find hundreds of other engaging conversations, local events, and more.